this, this really is a remarkable gathering this morning. There's all kinds of different people here. People of all ages, uh, from different backgrounds, in different lines of work. And I submit to you, and we ought to think about it this way, that we are all, no matter who we are, we are all at different stages in our walk with God. Do you view yourself as being on a walk with God. I mean, something drew you here this morning. And it has to be that you have respect for the Lord, uh, that you acknowledge that He has a, a will for your life, that He wants you to live in a certain way, that He has acted in a compassionate, loving manner towards you. And so you're here because you want to thank Him, you want to glorify Him, and you want in some way to align your life around His will. I mean, that's why you walked into the doors of a church this morning, no matter who you are. But we all, no matter who we are, are on a different part of our journey with God. We have children, precious children, in our midst, and we're raising them in the midst of God's people in the hope and prayer that they will someday become faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that they'll become baptized believers. We pray that for all of our children who are here this morning. We have teenagers here and young adults and adults of all ages who have yet to confess faith in Christ and be baptized into His name. And I pray, and we all hope that this gathering this morning will take you one step closer to that decision. Maybe it'll send you over the edge. And maybe this morning you'll be convicted that it's time, it's high time that I come forward and I give my life to the Lord through baptism. I I hope there's at least one person here who by the end of our time this morning will decide that they want to be immersed into Jesus Christ. And boy, would we love to help you make that most important step. We've got young Christians, those who have not been Christians, who have not been baptized believers very long, and we've also got mature believers, people who are firm in the faith, and they were baptized many years ago. And all these people are together in this one place for this one purpose, and that is to glorify the Lord. How special to be here this morning gathered with this group of people. And regardless of where you are on your journey, let me offer some instruction, some counsel to you, and it's not my instruction. It doesn't come from Joseph. It comes from the very Word of God. Some wisdom for your journey, we'll call it, and it comes from the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. The prophet says, He has told you, O man, speaking of God, God has told you, all people, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? He lists three things, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And it's that third one that we are focused on this morning. No matter where you are in your journey with God, your walk with Him is to be characterized by humility. By your humility. The prophet says, what does God want? He wants you to walk humbly through this life with Him. Humility, a key component of our relationship with God, of the journey that we're taking with God throughout this life. The New Testament writer James puts it this way in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, God opposes the proud. He opposes. He's against the proud. But He gives grace 
to the humble. His favor is towards those who embrace humility. But all this begs the question, what is humility? What is it that we're talking about this morning? How would you define this word? Humility is a notoriously tricky concept to pin down. Christian author Tim Keller says, Humility is so shy, if you begin talking about it, it leaves. It's so shy, if you begin talking about it, it leaves. The famous actor Gregory Peck was standing in line with a friend. They were waiting to be seated at a very crowded Los Angeles restaurant. The diners were taking their time, and nobody seemed in much of a rush. Tables were not coming open very quickly, and what's more, he and his friend were towards the back of the line. His friend became very impatient, and he said to Gregory Peck, very famous actor, known in my mind for portraying Atticus Finch in the movie version of To Kill a Mockingbird. He said to Gregory Peck, why don't you just tell the hostess who you are? And Gregory Peck responded with great wisdom. He said, if you have to tell them who you are, then you aren't. If you have to tell them who you are, then you aren't. And likewise, the moment that you think to yourself, you know what, I am pretty humble. Or worse, the moment that you acknowledge to somebody else out loud that you're a humble person, well, you just aren't. Anymore. That's the moment that you quit being humble. The person who talks all the time about being a nobody, about being lowly, that person is actually not all that humble. In fact, they're quite self obsessed. And so, if you ever find yourself feeling proud of your humility, then it's not something that you possess, most likely. Some equate humility with low self-esteem. Some people think humility is when you think less of yourself, and maybe to the extreme that you have some kind of self-loathing. But is humility that? It's not. It's not that. So we swing to the other extreme and ask, well, is it, does it have something to do with high self-esteem? And the answer, once again, is no, it's not that either. It, it's something that really is apart from the self-esteem issue. It's a totally unique concept. It's altogether different. True humility, as has often been said, and I bet you've heard this before, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's not self-hate. But it's also not thinking more of yourself, an overly overly amount of self-confidence. It is simply thinking of yourself less. It's when yourself takes a back seat to something bigger and more important than you. Let's take it a bit further. And let's call humility this this morning. Let's use this as our working definition. Humility is an awareness of my station before God. It's realizing who I am before an almighty God. It is a deep knowledge and growing ever deeper as we travel through this life as we're walking with God a knowledge of who I am in relation to my God. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. It's a parable about two men who go up to the temple to pray. And one of the men is a Pharisee. And just to clear away the clutter in your mind of what it meant to be a Pharisee, a Pharisee was a man committed to the law. A Pharisee was somebody who believed 
You ought to follow the law every day, all the time, 24 hours a day. And so the man in Jesus' parable is a very upright man. He gives a tenth of all that he has for people in need. Very generous. He prayed and he fasted regularly. And he kept himself clean and pure. And he wasn't like many other people in the world. He wasn't like extortioners and unjust people and adulterers. And he also wasn't like a tax collector that was standing nearby. This guy followed all the rules, this Pharisee. So let's give him credit for that. He was squeaky clean. He's the kind of guy that if he ran for office, nobody would be able to dig up any dirt on him. But he was proud that he followed all the rules. And then there was another man, and he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were reprehensible characters. It was a Jew, this man, who had decided to collect taxes for the Roman government from his own people. So he was a traitor, a political traitor. And as a result, he didn't fit anywhere. He didn't belong with his own people because he'd stabbed them in the back. But he wasn't a Roman citizen, so he didn't belong with the Roman government. He was a non-entity. He was an outsider. He didn't have a place in society. And so all he could do in Jesus' parable was to stand there. He didn't even look up into heaven and he said, Please, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. And shockingly, and I say shockingly because this would have been much more shocking to Jesus' original audience than it is to us because we've heard it a hundred times. We know how it ends. This would have blindsided the original hearers when Jesus says that the one who walks away justified is not the one who perfectly obeys the law. It's the one who humbles himself before an almighty God. And acknowledges his sin. That's the one who that day walked walked away justified. In a right place before God. Why? Because following God's commands is a total waste of time. And actually, it's displeasing to God if you lack humility. If you are unable to say before God that I am a sinner in need of your grace. If you think that by your good works, you can merit God's favor, that you can win your way into God's good graces, then you don't have a shot. And that's what this man was doing. He was an upright man. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. But he was proud of his righteousness. And he thought by his righteousness, he deserved what God was handing out. He deserved God's love. And so it's the other man who walks away justified. The sinner, the cheat, the scoundrel. Because he was willing to say, Lord, I need your mercy. I'm a sinner. I want to tell you about a man, the son of a preacher, in church all his life, baptized at a young age, Attended a Christian college, married a Christian woman, brought his family up in church. He did everything right. Very concerned with abiding by the teachings of Scripture. Very conservative in his faith. But in midlife, when the kids were grown, he had an affair. And his long marriage ended. Relationships with his kids and friends strained. Some irreparably damaged. And his own son 
says about his father, you know, I never heard my dad say he was sorry. Never. Not for anything. Never apologize. What happened? What's the problem? I don't know. But I wonder. Could it be that in his concern for following the rules and doing everything right, that this man didn't realize he needed God's mercy? That he didn't fully recognize his own sin? That he didn't understand the need to humble himself before God? A humble walk with God And as I said, humility should punctuate any journey with God, no matter who you are in this audience. A humble walk with God involves, requires, demands, admission of sin. A willingness to say, as the tax collector did, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And along the journey, I would say to you, we we should be growing more humble We should have an increasing awareness of sin, the seriousness of it. And not just the sin out in the world, our own sin. The damage that it can cause. uh, The terrible things that it can bring about in our lives. That should become clearer to us as we travel through this life. It seems like it became clearer to Paul. It seems as if, and probably... In fits and starts, Paul developed uh, at, into a humble believer. But, but I'm looking at his letters, and I see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, a, letter, a piece of a letter that he wrote in the mid-50s, this is what he said, I am the least of the apostles. There are the apostles, the select group of men that the Lord chose, and I was sort of one after after the appointed time, and so I am the least of the apostles. If you ranked all the apostles, I'm at the bottom of the list. Well, then a few years later, Paul writes the book of Ephesians. This is the early 60s. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And here Paul says, I'm the least of the saints. The least of all Christians, of all believers. I'm at the bottom of everybody who's confessed faith in Christ I'm at the very bottom of the list. I'm the least of the saints. This is a little, Paul has demoted himself further. And now listen to this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, one of the last letters that he wrote. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He started out, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he was the least of all the saints and believers. And finally, I am the chief of sinners. I'm sinner number one. This is a man who throughout his life trended in the direction of greater humility. Are you? I mean, we should, be, we should be more humble as we progress in our journey with God and not less. We should treat sin more seriously as we progress our own sin. We should have a greater awareness of the destruction that sin can cause in our own hearts as we go throughout our lives. Seems like Paul did. And yet, a truly humble attitude not only recognizes that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, it also recognizes that I am so valued 
that Jesus wanted to die for me. So a humble walk with God not only involves admission of sin, it also involves acceptance of God's love. Yes, I'm a sinner. And because of that, I deserve eternal separation from God and punishment and death. But I'm also beloved because of what God did for me. And I can't figure out why He did it for me. I don't understand why He loved me and loves me in the way that He does, but the Bible tells me so. For some reason, God loves me and has favored me, and He sent Jesus to die for me. A sinner, a beloved sinner. And these dual truths about who I am, about my core identity, they lead me, they ought to lead me to deep humility. You see, in the heart of a humble Christian, there's no room for self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, thinking less of yourself. There's also no room for self-righteousness, for being arrogant, for being prideful. There's only room for selflessness, for understanding that I'm a sinner Loved by God and saved only by His grace. And one more thing. The conclusion of our parable from earlier, from Luke chapter 18. I didn't share with you the final verse. Jesus wraps it all up in a a nice package. And He summarizes His teaching through this parable in this way. He says in verse 14, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you are prideful, unwilling to admit your sin, unwilling to acknowledge the destructiveness of sin in your life, if you exalt yourself, Jesus says, then you will be humbled. God will bring you low. Now, I don't want to know what that means. Do you? I don't want to know what it means for God to bring somebody low, for God to humble me. But Jesus says, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted, lifted up. So a humble walk with God in this life concludes with exaltation. I love what the Proverbs writer has to say. Chapter 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor, and life. It's good stuff if you're willing to humble yourself in this life. And then our verse for today, we finally gotten there. James chapter 4, verse 10. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord. We, we just sang about it. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Understand who you are in light of who He is. And He will exalt you. A young college graduate was asked to preach at a small congregation. And he was prepared. He was very well prepared. And eager to get up on the stage and mount the pulpit and showcase his knowledge and his oratorical skills that he'd mastered while in college. And he knew God's people would be impressed, very impressed with his presentation. Well, after his slick introduction, he started into the body of his sermon. He was quoting his sources right and left, citing multiple passages from memory. Very impressive. 
But the small congregation, however, began, as he looked out upon them, they began looking perplexed at his points. And they couldn't understand exactly what he was trying to say. And the young preacher took notice. And after five minutes or so, he realized that even the main point of the sermon was not being understood by the people. And so he began to stammer and stutter. And his frustration turned to fear and then to panic. The sermon totally went off the rails. And he ended up cutting off part of the ending. And he apologized. And he slowly slunk down sat on the front row next to the congregation's older preacher. And this seasoned minister leaned over and said, you know, if you had gone up there like you came down, you could have come down like you went up. If you'd gone up there like you came down just now, then you could have come down like you went up. If you exalt yourself, God will humble you. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted by God. If you come down to the front this morning in humility, acknowledging your sin, expressing the need for God's grace in your life to cover that sin, then God will lift you up. He will exalt you. But if you sit there and you think, no, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm just fine. I don't really have a sin problem. If you just sit there with that kind of pride in your heart, exalting yourself, unwilling to acknowledge your own sin, what does Jesus say? You'll be brought low. So my challenge is, if there's anybody here who has not yet put on Jesus Christ in baptism, and let me say, that is the act in which you say, I have sin in my life and I need to die to it. And somebody has already died for it. And his name is Jesus Christ and he's the only one who can save me from my sins. You'll be brought up out of that water victorious. God will exalt you. But only if you're willing to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe you're a baptized believer and you need to say that. Sin has crept back into your life and and you like King David after he sinned with Bathsheba, you, you're ignoring it. You're prideful about it. You're just putting it off in your mind. Consider me your prophet Nathan this morning. And let me say to you, you've got a problem. Just like we all do. We all must humble ourselves before God and rely on His grace each and every day. And maybe you need to do that in a public manner this morning. Or maybe you need to see a couple of our elders across the hall. Don't leave here if there's something that's getting in the way of your relationship with God. Humble yourself before Him this morning and He will lift you up. Would you come as we stand and sing right now?